You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. But with all of that, as the Apostle John is writing, he knows that there may be some who are taking his letter in a wrong application. Maybe there are some true believers in his church at that time, or maybe even in our church here this morning, who as you open the book of 1 John, maybe what you're experiencing is more discouragement or condemnation than encouragement. Well, today we're going to see that John knows this all too well. The Holy Spirit knows this all too well. We're going to be looking at verses chapter 19 to 24, and we're going to see that if we are misunderstanding the word or if we are misapplying the word and if these words are just so challenging that it's causing you to doubt and causing you to question and actually becoming more of a discouragement and maybe that you're feeling condemnation for where you are, John wants to encourage you here this morning. God wants to encourage you here this morning that if you are authentic, if you are truly in the faith, that you can have assurance, you can have confidence you can have certainty which is the exact point of the whole book that you may know that you have eternal life and so today's text for the true believer for the true authentic ones is all about confidence it's all about certainty it's all about assurance that that we truly have when we have Christ Jesus so friends let me ask you when it comes to your faith How confident are you in your standing before the Lord right now? How assured are you that that, that the Lord is in you and that you are in Christ and that he has saved you and is transforming you? Even as you see the sin that remains, how sure are you of your position before him? Even as you feel the guilt of that same old sin that that rears its ugly head yet again, what does your heart do with that? Does it take you to a point of thinking, well, all is lost, I'm really not the real thing, I'm not an authentic Christian, I don't even think I'm a Christian at all. Well, if that's you, and I think we can all find ourselves there at some times in our faith, if that's where you are, but you are authentic, God wants you to have confidence, and he wants you to have authentic confidence, confidence that, as we're going to see, affects the way that we approach our standing before God, and it's also going to affect our praying to God, and it's also going to affect our abiding in God. So let's read 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. 1 John 3, verses 19 to 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because, he keep, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. 
And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Our God, our Father in heaven, we come before you full of your Holy Spirit. We come here We come here covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We come here with your holy word open before us, and we are asking for you to speak to us yet once again, as you always faithfully do through your word. And so we pray that the powerful words of your word would impact our heart, as was always, is already prayed, that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ, and by beholding him that we would be changed. As those who have walked in here this morning have walked in with with a week of life upon them. We all walk in the the doors with with sin upon us, sin sin that we have committed willingly. Even as Christians, as we we fall into old patterns, we we come here this morning with all kinds of feelings wrapped up in that. But but Lord, we pray that as your word is going to point out that we would walk through the doors, we would come into the body of Christ, and we would approach your throne with absolute confidence knowing that it was perfectly secured in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so teach us today to to stand confidently, to pray boldly, and also to just abide in Christ as he abides in us by your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, if you possess authentic love, your heart needs not to be afraid. You need not to shrink back. As we just read here in 1 John 3, 19 to 24, instead of condemnation, God wants the Christian to have confidence. He wants him to have certainty. He wants you to have assuredness. As the context just previous to this section was focused on the love that we were to have for Christ, and the love we are to have for others, and how this is the true evidence that we are authentic, John begins this section by saying, by this we shall know. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. As we see those two words there put together, by this, by this, by what? He's talking about verse 18. He's talking about the authentic love that he was just teaching about. Love that isn't proved by just mere talk or words, but authentic love that is proved in deed and truth. And so what John is establishing here is that if we have that kind of love, we then shall know that we are of the truth, which then should bring us assurance before God. As it says, it should reassure our heart before him. So friends, if you possess authentic love, your heart need not be afraid. You need not shrink back before the Lord. No, John says, if you're seeing this in your life, you shall know. This is in the future tense. You shall know because it's something that we need to learn and something that we need to grow him, grow in. You shall know or you will know. Know what? We shall know that we are of the truth, that we are a true word abiding Christian and that your heart can then have confidence before God. In fact, that's what the first point is all about here this morning is that instead of condemnation, God wants you to be confident in your standing. 
Be confident in your standing. Why? Because God overrules the condemning heart. Verse 20 says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So as John here wants our hearts to be reassured before God, the problem we all face at time, even as Christians, is that our hearts can often condemn us. Anyone agree here that your heart can often condemn you? Does anybody here have a condemning heart? Some, maybe more than others for sure, and we know that that's just not fun. It's not a fun place to be. And so where does all of this come from? What does John mean here by talking about a condemning heart? Well, biblically speaking, as the Bible talks about the heart, the heart is the center of who you are. It is the center of your emotions It is the center of your will, your volition, your affections. He's not talking about your biological heart, which is the center of your physicality, but rather he's talking about your inward heart, which is the center of who you are, both spiritually and and morally and emotionally. In fact, as John is using this heart language here, and how there is a tendency of our hearts to condemn us, what he's specifically speaking about is the human conscience. That as all humans are born as both physical and spiritual beings, that we are born with an inward conscience. We have this inward heart that God has given us which informs us about right and wrong. And how do we know that? Well, Romans 2, 14 to 15 says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, They are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Friends, one of the greatest mercies that God has given to all mankind is that apart from his written law of right and wrong, is that he has given us a moral compass within. He's given us our conscience. It's that inward voice that tells you when something is right and or wrong. This is a divine gift from God that sets us apart from the animals as we are created in God's image, that it's not just about the survival of the fittest for us, but rather that that we know when things are wrong and we know when things are right in this world. We know that stealing is wrong and we know that sharing is good. We, We know that lying is wrong, but telling the truth is the right thing to do. We know that murder is wrong, and we know that saving life is the right thing to do. And so we all have this innate knowledge to some extent, and and it varies from person to person depending on, on what you learn and what you're exposed to, what you're brought up in. And so we have right and wrong. We have a conscience. We know when something is wrong or right. We also know how our conscience plays a crucial role of bearing witness, as it says in the text in Romans here, where it can either accuse us or excuse us. It could bring feelings of affirmation for us that what we're doing is right, or it can bring great guilt based on the the sin that you are choosing to make. I mean, if we think about the old Disney cartoons, what did Jiminy Cricket always say? He always said, let your conscience be your guide. 
Now what John is talking about here is how the conscience is still active within the Christian life. And that even more so, as we also now have the written law of God, and as we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, even more so, the conscience is to be that much more active in our lives. Just as Paul testifies in Romans 9, verse 1, where he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness, or bears me witness, in the Holy Spirit. And so the conscience still plays such an important, vital role within the Christian life as the Holy Spirit works with the conscience and, tra and transforms the conscience, even though our conscience can still be a part of that fallen existence, it could also still be somewhat tainted with evil. As Hebrews 19 says, the conscience is one of those things that needs to be purified by the Holy Spirit. Or if you were even to turn to Hebrews 10.22, in your own time, it talks about your heart being sprinkled clean. And so as much as the conscience is still so actively at work in the Christian, the problem that Christians can still run into is that it can condemn you. Your hearts can, can condemn you. And we can often confuse conviction with condemnation. That as conviction is the grace of God to expose sin in our life or, or righteousness to the believer, sin that can be brought forth before the Holy Spirit and his word for, for further sanctification. Condemnation is when the believer sees his remaining sin and instead of seeing it as something to grow in, it just condemns him. It just knocks you right down makes you feel like you're no better than the lost, and maybe I'm still lost myself. That as he or she may still see the sin that remains and the old ways that rise up, they may even arrive at the place of thinking to themselves, maybe I'm not even saved. That's condemnation. And so this was a reality in John's church as he's addressing it here, and it's still a reality for us today as God's people. I mean, when it comes to your life, just think of ways that your heart can still be condemning you. Think about those times when you feel downcast or, or sad or, or anxious or depressed. How your unchecked heart in those moments can lie to you. Telling you that eh, you're just alone, you're all alone, nobody cares about you, not even God cares about you, maybe God doesn't even really love you, maybe you're not really his child, maybe you're not even worth loving even by God. Or maybe as you find yourself struggling with sin, again, maybe that old particular flavor of sin is rearing its ugly head yet again, and you're finding yourself on the losing end of the battle, and you wonder to yourself, am I really set free from the bondage of this sin? And you wonder, why am I still failing? Why is it not gone yet? And as you feel that conviction, instead of taking it to the Lord for sanctification, you end up arriving at the conclusion Instead of confessing, instead of repenting and trusting in Christ all the more, instead you end up questioning. Questioning whether you actually have the Spirit of God in you. You question whether you are truly saved. Because if you were, shouldn't you have victory by now? And maybe you begin even wondering whether all of this gospel stuff is really true and you might even arrive at doubting it all. 
or maybe even as we've been walking through this hard-hitting book of 1 John, maybe you're taking some really good conviction that, that, that the Spirit is informing to your conscience and is bringing to mind, but instead of welcoming it all as work to further be sanctified, instead it's just crippling you. Instead, it's just causing you harm and you end up folding and you give up thinking that it's just hopeless for any kind of a change. Well, as John was aware of humanity and as the Holy Spirit knows us perfectly, he was well aware of this in the church. He's well aware of the, the tendency of our hearts. And he, so he says on the heels of telling his church that they should have a reassured heart. He says in verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. He knows everything. Meaning that the answer to a condemning heart is to see an even greater God. The answer to a condemning heart is to see an even greater God. That the truth of the matter is not what is based on what I've been misreading into this and or misapplying to my conscience, but that which rests in the greater person of God himself and his infinite knowledge. That although you maybe can't see your true standing and your conviction or your condition before God as, as maybe that's being clouded out and it's being restricted and suppressed by that condemning heart, you need to be running to God's perspective and that's what's going to get you through. That it's God's truth alone that must overrule the lies of the condemning heart. To illustrate this, it's, it's like the instruments on an airplane. You know, as you're flying through clouds or fog or snow, if you're just looking out the window ahead, you can't tell which way is up or down. You can't tell how close you are to the ground. You can't tell through looking, just looking through that foggy, clouded perspective alone, you can't tell where you are. No, if you're a pilot, you have to trust the instruments. You have to see how these instruments are, are telling you where the altitude is, where the attitude is, what direction you're going. And it's the same thing with God. He is the one who is greater. He has the infinite knowledge. He knows exactly where you are. When your mind is being clouded by a condemning heart, you need to trust in the Lord and his perspective. Friends, if you are authentic, God wants you to be confident in your standing before him. And the way to be confident in your standing before him is by allowing him to overrule your condemning heart. This means that you must continue to feed your heart. You must continue to feed it with the truth, not the lies. That's why when you counsel yourself, you are, you are preaching the gospel to yourself. You're preaching the truth to yourself when the world wants to lie to you, when Satan wants to lie to you, when your flesh wants to lie to you, you need the truth. You have to fill your heart with the word of God and rely on what he says about your standing, right? Because he is the one who is greater than your heart. He knows everything. 
This ties into Romans 11.33 when we're thinking about the vast mind of God. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And that in that knowledge and wisdom, God also says to us in Romans 8, 1 to 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What kind of condemnation? No condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has done what? It has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then as you go to Romans 8.15, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Or then further in Romans 8.38-39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the truth we need to be preaching to ourselves. That no matter what is going on, no matter how our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. He knows where you're standing with him. Maybe you've got yourself in a rut because of something that you said or you didn't say, something you did or you didn't do. Maybe you're kicking yourself because you failed to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a family member or a friend over this season. And you're feeling that God must really be upset with you. Or maybe God is really tired of you. Tired of you failing him. Maybe God has had enough of you. And you're questioning your authenticity altogether. Friends, as good as it is to do self-examination, we need to realize that if we are a true believer, we are standing secure in Jesus Christ. Especially as John has been talking about that authentic love that should be evident in your life and growing in you. These things need to reassure your heart before God. And so conviction is good, friends. Embrace conviction. Let that conviction drive you all the more to turn from your sin, to compel you to do what is right the next time. But friends, don't let it condemn you. Now, when our heart walks into the courtroom of the great judge and our heart stands up and points the finger to us and accuses us as guilty that we should be sent to eternal incarceration, our great judge, who is greater than our heart, he is the judge who knows all, he slams down the gavel and says, overruled. Because of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Friends, don't listen to that condemning heart. Welcome conviction, but don't listen to that condemning heart. Find your confidence in the one who is greater than your heart. And then as you grow in this, John goes on to say in verse 21, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, 
We have confidence before God. That is the goal. The goal is to live a life as a Christian with an uncondemning heart. The key to confidence in Christ is to know all the more that we are no longer condemned. And then as you live in that confidence, the next thing that we see here is that as it affects our perspective of our standing, it should also affect our prayer life. Verse 21 bleeds into verse 22, which is really going to teach us here that we need to be certain in our praying. Because he also answers the believing heart. Right? He overrules the condemning heart, but he answers the believing heart. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Friends, the more confident you are, in the God who is greater than your heart, the more confident that you can be that he is going to answer your prayers. Friends, real confidence in Christ means real certainty that God is going to answer us and he is going to provide for us. To be confident here means that you can boldly approach God and yet be humble enough to ask for help. Friends, it takes humility to ask for help. Anybody here struggle with asking for help? You know, that's pride. That's pride. To be confident here in the Greek is the word parisia, which is also used in Hebrews 4.16, which says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Right, That's the very presence of God. And that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So friends, it's only through the finished work of Christ that the presence of God is now freely open to his people. Remember when he died, the curtain was torn in two. The way to the Holy of Holies is now open to all of those who are truly his. We have free and bold access to the throne room of grace, and we can now go humbly and go and seek our Father's help. And that happens through prayer. Friends, if you're a child of God, your heavenly father loves it when you come to him and asking for your needs to be met. He loves to answer your prayers. He loves to give you what you need to the point that John says, whatever we ask, we receive. I mean, just think how, how in an earthly sense, how, how parents love to care for their children. Think about how your parents just so readily provided for you and how willingly they, they would hear you out when you needed help and then how you maybe as a parent so readily and willingly want to help your own children. Now if you take that model times infinity, that is the way our God in heaven loves to help us and to provide for us to the point that whatever we ask, we receive from him. This is the same emphasis that Jesus made in Matthew 7, 7 to 11, where he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. But then listen to this. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? That's ridiculous. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. We would never do that. 
If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, as I said, our Heavenly Father loves to give us what we need when we ask. But the problem John may have been facing with his church and the problem that we face as well is that we often don't humble ourselves enough to ask. We often don't take the time to pray. The Christians often spend very little time seeking the Lord in prayer. And so the question is why? Why don't we spend more time in the throne room of grace? We have bold and unprecedented access. Why do we spend so little time of going to our Father who is so willingly wanting to help us in our time of need? Why don't we spend more time with the Lord who gives us whatever we ask? Why do we spend so much time worrying about our needs? More time than we would ever spend praying. Well, John answers this question by saying in so many words that follow here in this next little section is that the problem comes down to belief. The problem comes down to faith. As he says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. On the heels of that, he says, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And then verse 23 says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. You see, friends, in order to be humble enough and faithful enough to consistently ask God for help means that we are truly those who authentically believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And that it's not just in word or talk, as John was teaching the last time, but that it's in deed and it's in truth. That as John is highlighting here, that those who truly believe in Jesus are those who keep his commandments, right? To believe in Jesus is to obey him. If you love me, he says, you'll obey me. And it also talks about pleasing God. To love him is to please the Lord. That we're not just here on this earth for ourselves, for our own desires, but that we now live for God's good pleasure. And again, as John already emphasized a few times in this book, it comes down to the great commandment. It comes down to loving God and loving one another which ties right back into verse 19 where John says, by this, by this evidence of love for one another, by this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. And so friends, the picture John is putting here together for us is that those who believe and obey Jesus are those who also believe him in prayer. One of the greatest evidence of your faith is your prayer life. That we would pray and trust our Heavenly Father that loves to give us what we need. And so it all comes down to certainty in our praying. Now as a word of caution here, we need to be careful with the understanding of the phrase, whatever we ask, right? Right, some if not many have run off with this language to treat God like he's some kind of great big cosmic vending machine in the sky 
or that he's some kind of great genie in the sky who, who is now bound by his word to just give us whatever we ask. If you know of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, false gospel, which has a teaching that we could almost demand riches and blessings from God, that we can command good health and all kinds of things to please ourselves. That's not what he's saying here. No, friends, God is not saying that he is bound to give you a fancy house or that sports car or a Learjet. He's not promising to keep you cancer-free just because you ask. No, friends, if somebody's teaching that to you, that is heresy. No, because the rest of the scripture doesn't claim that. We have to understand scripture in light of the rest of scripture, even within John's own canon. If, if you look at uh, 1 John five fourteen, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. I mean, there's further teaching right there about how we ask. So friends, as John is highlighting those who believe and obey Jesus, these are the kind of the people who are going to submit and obey God's will. They know that God's will for us isn't about storing up our treasures here where moth and rust destroy, but treasures in heaven. They know that as Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That it's not about the comforts here. It's not about building our own kingdom here. They know that to follow Jesus means that we will suffer, we will be rejected, that we will go through trials, that we live in a, follow, a fallen world where there is sorrow and disease and death, and that these things still affect the faithful. And so when the faithful pray, we pray knowing all of these things. And we pray then according to God's will that he knows best, that he's working all things together for our good, no matter what that might look like. Because friends, the best things that could ever happen to us may be that we get sick. That disease or cancer or whatever it may be may be used by God to just drive us closer to him. Right, that it's, it's, it's better to know God and to be more dependent on him than to be healthy. The best answer to our prayers may be that we lose that job. It may be that we lose some wealth. It may be all of those things because what does that do? That drives us that much more to be dependent upon God. That as Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24, again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That instead of praying maybe for, for being spared persecution or to be spared suffering or spared trials, we ultimately pray that God would use those trials. He would use that suffering in order to grow us, right? To do what? To pr produce faith? to produce hope, to produce steadfastness, that we may be complete, that is the will of God. And so as a spiritual seatbelt for you, make sure you understand what it means to ask. But yet with that, we also should not be afraid to ask. 
Don't be afraid to enter the throne room of grace with your requests. Friends, humble yourself enough to ask and pray with certainty. That's why we as a church have the distinctive of fervent prayer. We believe in fervent prayer, as the scripture commands, that we are to be dependent and expectant that God is going to answer according to his will because whatever we ask, we receive from him. And so friends, pray for the smallest things, pray for the biggest things, but pray according to God's will and pray knowing that whatever we ask, we receive from him. Friends, we can be certain in our praying because he answers the believing heart. And this is so true, even just in our church, as we're watching the Lord answer our prayers, as he has been providing for our church all the time. I mean, as I just reflect back on our past five years, God has always made the way for us. He has always been faithful to meet our practical needs. Sometimes just in a human sense, how we have the needs of how we're going to survive as a church financially, or where we're going to meet in a, as, a, as a building, as a church. God has always been faithful to provide. He has provided when we ask. Even as we were praying as a church last year, how can we, how can we even help in this whole Ukraine war? The Russian invasion in Ukraine. How can we even be effectual in that as a small church? And then as God prepared us to help a family as we, as we were a part of bringing Svetlana and Anna and the kids here and how we helped them get on their feet. But then even greater than that, how Anna actually comes to saving faith and we have the joy of baptizing her and then even through her testimony to others, how others are coming to Christ through that. Friends, we cannot do those kinds of things on our own. That is absolutely the work of God and he has given us the pleasure and the privilege of prayer to see how those things come to be. And so we get a joy about being a part of that work as we merely ask and we ask in faith And we ask according to his will, and we watch the Lord provide abundantly more than we can ask or think. And so, friends, let us believe that all the more. Let us be authentic here in our praying. Let us be certain in our praying. And so as he answers the believing heart with that, as John continues, we also need to be assured in our abiding from verse 24. Be assured in your abiding. He perseveres the enduring heart. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Friends, if you remember our past sermons in 1 John, you'd remember the word abide. You remember that the word abide means to remain It means to stay. And friends, I don't think there is anything more reassuring and more calming to the soul than to hear and to know that our remaining, our staying, our abiding is not contingent upon us, but that it is fully secured, it is fully kept by the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. 
that as much as we could ever try to hold on to God, as much as we could, for the rest of our lives, it's actually God who is holding on to us. And how does he do it? He does it by indwelling us. His very holy presence within us. As we are put inside of Jesus Christ, covered in his righteousness, we are also indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? We sing that song, he will hold me fast that I could never keep my hold. Through life's fearful path, my love is often cold, but he must hold me fast. Friends, as John again highlights, that it is those who keep his commandment who abide in Christ, there is effort, yes, on our part to live for him, to believe in him, to love him for sure. But there is the absolute necessity of God abiding in us to keep us. It is the Holy Spirit in us that helps us to to walk in God's ways and to keep us secure in the abiding hands of our Savior. By this we know, it says here again. By this we know. This is the same language from verse 19. By this we shall know. Friends, he's talking about absolute assurance and certainty that God abides in us and keeps us. How? How does he keep us? Again, he says, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Friends, our only hope of remaining and abiding is all due to the one who remains and abides in us, God himself. This is the third person of the Trinity. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the saving one, the sanctifying one, the securing one, the one who tabernacles within us. He is the wind that blew where he wishes. He is the one who sought us out. He is the one who made us alive in the spirit. He is the one, as Titus 3.5 says, he saves not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who opened our hearts. He is the one who opened our eyes and our ears to hear the words of Christ so that we can believe. He is the one whom God sent, who is the spirit of the Son of God and brought him into our hearts so that we can be adopted into the family of God where we can now cry Abba Father. He is the one who baptized us spiritually into the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and we're all made to drink of one spirit. He is the one who strengthens us He is the one who gifts us for the work of ministry. He is the one who both wrote and illuminates the scriptures and into our hearts. He is the one who helps us pray. He is the one who intercedes for us in groanings too deep for words. And as John so vitally shares with us here, again, he is the one who so faithfully and powerfully dwells within us, the one who holds on to us, the one who abides in us, because we cannot abide and remain in our own strength. Friends, as much as the true understanding of the gospel 
is that Jesus had to come save us because we couldn't save ourselves. So it is with the perseverance of our salvation that we could never remain in our salvation by our own strength. No, friends, as God saves, God keeps, and he keeps by the indwelling glory of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit whom upon hearing and believing, we hear and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does he do? He seals us. He guarantees us to be kept forever, as Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So friends, as we have a tendency to doubt as we have a tendency to fail and to wander, what John is teaching us here, what God is teaching us here through him, is that we can know, by this we know, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Friends, as much as this book of 1 John can be hard hitting and as much as we can sometimes allow our hearts to be condemned, we have a God who is greater than our heart. In those darkest moments, don't follow the world and how you're to be affirmed, self-affirmation. Look to the words of scripture and preach to yourself, God is greater than my heart. God knows all things. He has all knowledge. He knows me better than I even know myself. And he is the one who indwells me more powerfully than I could ever imagine. And friends, from that comes the greatest confidence. When your heart is not condemning you, you can say that you've arrived at the right place of confidence before the Lord. So he is the one who brings the greatest confidence, the authentic confidence we need to walk forward into these dark days ahead where we must be confident in our standing, days where we must be certain in our praying, and days where we need to be assured in our abiding. As one of my favorite hymns goes, a Wesley one, and can it be, I got the words for you on the screen, long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Friends, he overrules the condemning heart. He answers the believing heart and he perseveres the enduring heart. That is authentic confidence. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for your word. So thankful that as we look at the totality of what you have spoken to us through your very holy words in the scriptures, that those words never return void, that they always do exactly what you send them to do. 
whether that is condemnation for the unbeliever so that they can see their need of you, or whether that is conviction for the believer to further bring things before you to be sanctified. Father, as we come before you, we come before you often with condemning hearts. We come before you with, with conscience and conviction and things that they may lead, if wrongly interpreted and misapplied, may lead to a condemning thought about ourselves and where we are with you, and it may be even tear down who you are rightly as revealed in the word of God. And so we, we pray today as we're stepping into this new year that if we are truly, authentically in you, and as we see the evidence of love for you and love for others, that we can reassure our hearts before you. That we can stand with confidence knowing that our position is secure and yet we know that's also a very humble thing to do and in that humility as well to, to ask. Lord, if anything in this new year, maybe with, with the implementation of further reading of your word, may our prayer lives be that much stronger, that much more dependent, that much more expectant upon you are the, who are the God who answers the believing heart. And may with that as well as we continue to, to live this life with you and for you. Help us all the more to just worship you. Help us all the more to long for you and to be so grateful and thankful that you abide in us as we abide in you. We're so thankful that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit and that it secures our feet to the very end until the day that we get to see you face to face just as you are. So we're so thankful, Lord, that you have spoken to us. May your Holy Spirit drive this deeper into our hearts and further transform that we can also be changed all the more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.